Welcome back to the Bible Brush Up Podcast. We are continuing our journey through the book of Isaiah, and we will be looking at some of the concluding chapters uh, as we are finishing the study of this book up. And uh, we'll soon move on from here to the book of Hosea. But for the time being, I'd like to take a look at a particular topic that shows up in these concluding chapters, and that is the topic of the servant of God. And I think looking at the servant here in these passages will help us um, fine-tune our interpretive abilities, and it'll give us a better approach to interpretation in general. And so as we look at this, it's good to know that there are different ways of interpreting and or viewing um, who this servant is that shows up in the book of Isaiah, because there's a lot on the shoulders of the servant. There's a lot being communicated about the servant. And of course, there are many that... Uh, interpret this passage as Jesus, the Messiah. And so they would say all the um, references to the servant in Isaiah are references to the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. Um, But there are some, especially those who don't view Jesus as the Messiah, mainly the, the Jewish interpretation of this book, is that the servant is Israel. The nation of Israel has been punished. They've been judged. They have come under the aggression of the Assyrians and other nations that have risen up against them, and God has used these various nations to bring about his judgment because of Israel's transgression. But nonetheless, there are glimmers of hope throughout this prophecy, and there is a promise that they will be preserved or protected, and so on and so forth. And so they view the servant passages and all the passages relating to the servant that describe the hardship and the pain and the suffering uh, and the physical abuse that is experienced by the servant. They describe that as being the historical persecution of the Israelites. And there are places in the, the book of Isaiah that kind of highlight the emphasis of it, the servant being Israel. Um, so for one example would be Isaiah 41.8. It says, But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. Uh, and so right there, it's very clear that Israel is the one who is the servant. And there are other places that make that pretty clear as well. Um, and so why do we have an interpretation of Jesus being the servant when it seems that there are many places where it is Israel. Uh, Isaiah 44 says, But now hear, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. Uh, The next verse says, Thus says the Lord, who made you, who formed you from the womb, and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant. Uh, 44.21, Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant servant. And just so many passages here that refer to Israel as servant. So how can a New New Testament reader employ a Christological lens to view these references to the servant as being references to Jesus Christ? Well, to start, we have no other choice because the New Testament presents Jesus as fulfilling many of these passages. And so the fact that he was pierced, the fact that he was numbered among the transgressors. Uh, There are many places uh, in Isaiah 53 that find their fulfillment in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And so since the New Testament clearly articulates that, 
we have no choice but to say, yes, Jesus is the servant mentioned in the Old Testament. But how do we reconcile the fact that it clearly teaches that it is Israel who is the servant in the passage, but yet the New Testament says that it is Jesus? Uh, we have two truths here that seem pretty clear, but how do we reconcile those two together? Well, I think one of the ways that we do this is by looking at something uh, that many have termed corporate solidarity. Corporate solidarity meaning that one figure can represent the whole, and that is what's taking place even in the Old Testament by itself. The fact that they're referring to a servant, uh, it seems that is one person, but yet it stands as a symbol of the entire nation of Israel. And so Jesus fulfills that role. When he comes and he lives out a life of perfection and he lives a life of righteousness before the holy God of Israel, he does so as a representative of Israel. He is an Israelite and therefore he is fulfilling in his body what the nation and all those represented in that nation could never do in and of themselves. Uh, we have a kind of a cyclical pattern here where Adam was created and he was put in the position to uphold righteous standards from God and he fails. And he, uh, as a result, is kicked out of the garden and he is sent out of God's holy presence. And we get a repeat of that in Noah. And um, Noah and his descendants, they survive the chaotic waters of the flood, which represent in a way the same waters that existed prior to the creation of the Garden of Eden. We have a watery chaos in Genesis 1 that the Spirit was hovering over the waters and moving upon the waters. And so we have waters that represent the chaos, and out of the chaos comes the, uh, the creation of life and the opportunity to uphold righteousness in a created order, a new created order. And so from Noah, he comes out of the watery chaos. He gets an opportunity to uphold righteousness, righteousness in a new created order, and we see the world spiral into sin once more. And uh, we get all the way to the Tower of Babel and um, the complete disregard for the commandments of God there. They were trying to make themselves a name. They were trying to exalt themselves and to reach the heavens through their own means and to um, just stay together rather than spread out as God had commanded them to fill the world with his glory, with image bearers through reproduction. And so because of all that, they fail once again, and we get a repeat in the calling of Abraham. And so Abraham and uh, his family, they grow into a nation, the Israelites, and so God will deliver them from Egyptian bondage, and they will come through the chaotic waters of the Red Sea, and just like Adam, just like Noah, they are now going to be put to the test in the wilderness to see if they'll uphold the righteous standard of God. They fail, they die out, and then a new community of faith rises. And they're going to get the same opportunity. They're going to pass through the waters of the Jordan and come out on the other side for an opportunity at a new creation. And they are going to be put to the test in the promised land. And they fail the test. And so they are eventually exiled uh, into Assyrian and Babylonian captivity, which is what we've been talking about here in Isaiah. And so we have this repeating theme here that out of the chaotic waters comes new life, a new opportunity for righteousness to be upheld in the presence of God. And so Jesus comes as a representative of this pattern. He is the new Adam. He is um, the new Israel. 
and the representative of Israel, and he comes to be baptized. And John says, why are we baptizing you? I should be the one getting baptized, not you. And Jesus says, we're doing this to fulfill all righteousness. And remember, fulfill doesn't always mean to do something that had been predicted. There was no prediction of a messianic baptism. Um, this is fulfill in the sense that it is repeating all those prior events that we just talked about. Adam, Noah, Israel, Israel 2.0, when they crossed the Jordan. So he's going to come through the waters, and out on the other side, he's immediately going to go into the wilderness, driven by the Spirit to be tempted or tested, just like Adam was tested, just like Noah was tested, just like Israel was tested. In every case, humanity fails. But now Jesus is going to do it to perfection. He is going to withstand the temptation of the devil. He is going to come out of the wilderness still perfect, still holy, and therefore fulfilling the law. He is going to fulfill the law and the prophets, and he's going to do what Israel needed to do but couldn't do. But it's not done so in such a way that Israel is left as a failure because Jesus is Israel. He represents Israel. He is the servant. So while the references in Isaiah are talking about Israel, they are talking about the servant there, and they probably do, in a sense, reference some of these um, judgments and these um, acts of physical harm and aggression that have been aimed at the people of Israel. Jesus comes in a better and more fulfilling fashion and he accomplishes all that they were meant to accomplish. He upholds all the righteous standards they were supposed to. He honors the covenant uh, relationship that he's in with God Almighty as the Jew of Jews. And this is very important for our theology to understand that Jesus comes as that new Israel, as the new Moses, as the new David. He, he fulfills all of those types and shadows, those those patterns that were established in the Old Testament. And what's even greater about it all is that in our union with Christ, when we become a believer, when we put our faith and trust in Christ and we are born again, we are born into this uh, beautiful union with Christ where we are connected to him spiritually. And because of that, many things are said about us that really could only be said about Christ. We are called righteous now. We are called children of God now. Uh, there are even places in the scripture that say that we are resurrected or raised to newness of life. We are seated in heavenly places with him. Obviously, I'm sitting here on earth right now doing a podcast. I'm not seated in heavenly places, but because Christ is seated in heavenly places at the right hand of God and because I'm connected to him, it can be said that that's true about me, too. And we are given a new name, it says. I mean, there are so many implications that flow out of the doctrine of union with Christ, and one of those being that we are now grafted in as true Israel. Because Jesus is true Israel, we are true Israel. Because Jesus is the suffering servant, the one who came and who, um, whom all the promises of Isaiah are fulfilled in him, we too participate in that. And so since he suffered, the Bible says we will suffer, that we share in the sufferings of Christ in this life when we walk in faith and righteousness. And there are just so many implications that flow from that doctrine of union with Christ that I think if we miss that, we miss the proper way of interpreting these passages. So are the Jewish 
um, interpreters correct in saying that the servant is Israel? Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, but I think they only get half the story because the New Testament sheds light on the fact that Jesus comes as the true representative of Israel, fulfilling all that they were supposed to be, all that they were to accomplish, and does it perfectly in holy righteousness before God, earning through his own meritorious work the resurrection from the dead. And in doing so, imparts to us those benefits that we couldn't earn from our own strength and our own works and our own good deeds. Only he could, and he did. And so we get all the benefits of it without doing any of it. We get the blessings of being true Israel without being born an Israelite or even converting to uh, the Jewish religion. We have all of that given to us in Christ, who was the truest, most pure Adam, which his name means man, so he's the truest, purest form of man. He's the purest, truest form of the Davidic monarchy as he reigns as king, but he is the truest and most pure form of Israel as he represents the nation. So we're going to stop there for today, but as you read through the remainder of Isaiah, keep these interpretive lessons in mind as you deal with passages that seem to have a fulfillment in its own Old Testament context, but even greater fulfillment in the person of Christ. We'll see you next time on the Bible Brush Up Podcast.